from the Alaska Airline Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is the Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. I don't like who I could. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got this is the Blitz at 6. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at 6. Lee Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, June 30th, heading into this holiday weekend. Jam-packed hour. We heard some reports of players opting out, both in the NBA and the MLB yesterday. What does this mean for the return of baseball, for the return of the NBA Will this create a trend and our players feeling pressure one way or the other, peer pressure of sorts to either play or to opt out? We'll discuss some of those details. Also, the NBA now planning to paint Black Lives Matter on the court inside both sidelines. Pretty cool in all three arenas that the league will use at the Walt Disney World Resort. Just one of the many things they're considering uh, is furthering the cause as they as they uh, have this restart, including also putting names or uh, personalized messages on the back of jerseys. We'll discuss that. Plus, Arizona pausing its plan to bring athletes back to campus yesterday. What does this mean for football in the Pac-12? Pac-12 trying to have a united front on this. So all ahead in this hour right now, let's get to your headlines. Some reports of players opting out of the return to sports. And yesterday, Colorado Rockies outfielder Ian Desmond announced he will opt out of playing this season. He wrote a post on Instagram that not only touched on concerns for COVID-19 and for his family, but also on social justice, on race issues right now, as well as opportunities for youth baseball players. But ultimately, he's saying... He said that the COVID-19 pandemic has made this baseball season one that is a risk I am not comfortable taking. Also mentioned his pregnant wife, four young children who have a lot of questions about what's going on in the world right now. And he wants to be a great husband and great dad. Buster only yesterday on ESPN talking about uh, player concern with the season return. My projections are based on what I'm hearing at the team level about how this is all playing out. You know, I've heard phrases like false hustle. Uh, you know, why are we doing this? This is crazy. Um, yeah, and a lot of it, obviously, is because there's things going on that are completely outside of the control of Major League Baseball. Um, you know, I wrote in a column the other day that for baseball to attempt to restart right now is like getting into a sailboat as you see the outer bands of a hurricane on the horizon. <laughs> Because you think about, you know, the surge in numbers, about 160,000 new cases in this country over the last four days, and they're all centered in the most important states for Major League Baseball, Florida, Texas, Arizona, California, where so many players live. And so what I'm hearing at the team level is, great, all of these guys are going to be getting on planes to go to and report to their respective teams amid all these uh, surging numbers, and there's a lot of curiosity uh, and a lot of concern about what the, the positive test numbers are uh, later this week. Earlier Monday, Arizona Diamondbacks pitcher, former Mariners pitcher Mike Leake, also announcing that he was going to opt out, as well as Washington Nationals first baseman Ryan Zimmerman, pitcher Joe Ross, announcing they'd opt out for the 2020 season amid the coronavirus pandemic. So some of the players, uh, some big-name players as well, and Buster only on if there will be peer pressure amongst players. What I've heard from players is is that players 
um, are, are concerned. Um, they respect uh, the decisions of their peers, guys like Ryan Zimmerman, we heard, Ian Desmond. You know, I, I do think people in the sport are wondering about Mike Trout. You know, he was uh, you know out front at the outset of this when he talked about how uh, his wife is pregnant and and uh, if it were something to be take away take him away from from her, it wasn't something that he was going to be comfortable with. Um, and I do think that the you know the peer pressure will manifest itself more when the teams get together. That name, Mike Trout, obviously a lot of people will be watching for, but what about his ability uh, to be a leader of sorts in terms of if he withdraws, will other players follow suit, Buster, only on that? I do think that Trout would be the biggest name uh, that in terms of withdrawing. And again, I have no information that that's the case. Uh, that would get a lot of attention in the sport. It's kind of like you guys remember when we were going through the Astros science-dealing stuff, and CC Sebastian said some things, and some other players said said some things. And I know privately the Astros were kind of like, "Oh yeah, well, you, it's only because you lost." And then Mike Trout said something, and then everyone shut up <laughs> because he's a figure of such credibility within the sport. So I do think that he, generally speaking, is the leader. But I don't think the withdrawal of one or two players is necessarily going to lead to a wave. So when might we uh, see all these players opt out for 2020? Jeff Passan had some thoughts. At this point, you know, there have been rumors. This player, his wife is pregnant. Maybe he's going to want to opt out. That player, he's been around. He's got his service time. He's got his money. Why would he want to come and play? I think when it's all said and done, though, there isn't going to be a huge stream of players who do end up opting out. You may have a guy or two per team max. And I think it's going to come down to the, the individual decisions. But in the end, you have to answer to your teammates. And that's a really difficult thing to answer when they say, hey, we're coming to play in the midst of all of this. We want to try and win a championship. Why aren't you here with us? Teams getting back together this week to start spring training 2.0. The Mariners part of that as well. July 3rd, I believe their date for kicking things off at T-Mobile Park. Brooklyn Nets center DeAndre Jordan tested positive for COVID-19 and opted out of next month's restart in Orlando, Florida. He announced yesterday Jordan and guard Spencer Dinwiddle, uh, Dinwiddie excuse me, tested positive for COVID-19, uh, but Spencer has yet to officially rule himself out, he told The Athletic on Monday. Adrian Wojnarowski on the implications, what this could mean for the Nets. The expectation is you were going to have positive tests for players who are just living, you know, for example, these two players, DeAndre Jordan, Spencer Dinwiddie, who are in New York, who can go into the facility, play socially distance, kind of do a workout. They're not having contact with each other on the court. So if someone's testing positive, it's coming from outside the facility, presumably, and and that's the belief here. But both players would potentially have time to get past the symptoms, get to Orlando. They don't have to play a game till July 30th, but DeAndre Jordan has already ruled himself out. And there's concern on the Nets that as they lose more players, they're going to be, as they become less competitive, that it's causing other players to wonder, is it worth me going to play? And that puts the Nets in a difficult position where they might have to suffer more attrition here before they even get to Florida. Forward Wilson Chandler told ESPN on Sunday that he opted out of the season's restart, citing family concerns as well. The Nets, one of those 22 NBA teams scheduled to resume games on July 30th in Orlando, Florida. They're seventh place currently in the Eastern Conference, a half game ahead of the Orlando Magic for the final playoff spots. 
They haven't had organized team workouts uh, at their facility in Brooklyn for several days, though. NBA regulations mandate that current team workouts have to follow social distance practices and include no contact among players. Teams won't start formal training camps until they arrive in Orlando in mid-July, have to go through several more health and safety protocols before then and some testing slash isolation in hotel rooms before that can happen. Teams also have to submit rosters of eligible players to the NBA this Wednesday. Adrian Wojnarowski, further thoughts on outbreaks of the in the bubble, and that is a real fear for people right now. It's the one question the NBA has not answered that they haven't, it seems, wanted to box themselves in, is how many players on one team would it take for them to either end a series, to say to a team is essentially done. There are mechanisms for them to continue to bring in substitution players, but those players coming in would have to quarantine. But that's the fear. That's the ultimate fear in this great experiment, that if there was an outbreak on a team in the middle of the playoffs, how would you be able to continue? The NBA and the Players Association are planning to paint Black Lives Matter on the court inside both sidelines in all three arenas the league will use at the Walt Disney World Resort. The WNBA is also reportedly discussing painting Black Lives Matter on the court when it begins its abbreviated 2020 season at the IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. Sources also said some WNBA players have suggested in talks with league higher-ups that players want to wear warm-up shirts with Say Her Name on them, an attempt to keep attention on female victims of police brutality, including Breonna Taylor, who was shot and killed by police in March in her home in Kentucky. Players also have insisted that the fight for racial justice and equality be a central part of the NBA's return to play in the WNBA's new season. Several NBA players considered skipping the the restart and may still opt out. Several WNBA players, including Renee Montgomery of the Atlanta Dream and Natasha Cloud of the Washington Mystics, are sitting out the upcoming season to focus on social dust- social justice. J.J. Redick of the Pelicans was on with Scott Van Pelt yesterday, and I thought had some, some great words, but his thoughts on finishing up the season and how it's such an individual decision for each person. Are we going to take away from this social justice movement that's happening right now by playing? Is us playing a distraction? I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer to that question. I completely understand the guys that don't want to play, whether it's for family, whether it's for health, or whether it's for the social justice movement. I know we've seen a lot of WNBA players who have decided to sit out the season because they want to continue the cause. I literally applaud them. Seriously, the, the amount of courage it takes to do that is commendable, and I get everybody's thing, and I think every Everybody kind of has to make a decision for themselves. I believe for the betterment of our league, we need to play. And we also have an opportunity with the platform that we will have in Orlando to hopefully enact some real policy change. Coming up on the Blitz, Cam Newton is now a New England Patriot. Was that really the only option, the only offer that he had with Bill Belichick in New England? Should Seattle have considered him? Uh, Brock Hewitt had some great thoughts on that yesterday. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is the Blitz. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6.30. Cruise alongside with you Tuesday, June 30th. Cam Newton is officially a Patriot. Mina Kimes, a liking the miss to a horror movie scenario, apologizing uh, to other teams in the AFC East. But before we get to Mina's comments, Adam Schefter yesterday explaining how Cam Newton became a Patriot and said that 
While all of us said this looked like a shoe-in and a fit, Cam Newton really had no other offers. Not a lot of contact between the Patriots and Cam Newton until just recently, over the last couple of weeks or so. And there were no other teams that were lighting up Cam Newton's phone. No other offers coming in. The only offer he had was from the New England Patriots on a one-year deal that I think both sides were in favor of. Because Cam Newton knew that when the Panthers released him a couple of weeks into free agency, the big money had filled up or dried out. The starting jobs had gone away. And so he needed to go to a place that put him himself in the best position to make a mark this year so that when he gets to the free agent market, if he gets to the free agent market in the offseason of 2021, that he's in the best position to capitalize on it then. So he invested in himself. He chose a low paying deal from the Patriots. He gets to try to replace Tom Brady. And if he succeeds there, then he'll be a big ticket free agent item once again after this season. But a big part of that trepidation and no, so no phone calls coming in, of course, was concern over Cam's health. And Shefty explaining that the Patriots still haven't had a physical with him because of COVID-19 concerns. Cam Newton still has not taken a physical for or with the New England Patriots. And he won't do that until the NFL allows teams or allows players to go back into training facilities, something he has not been able to do. So they don't know that he can or will pass their physical. But the expectation is, based on what he said, based on the physical he had in March in Atlanta, that he will pass. He said shoulder injuries, ankle injuries, but they believe that he should be good to go and we will not know that officially until physicals are allowed to be taken and cam does meet with patriot doctors i would presume next month brock heward you can hear him uh, every morning well at least three times a week on blue 42 with danny Angalant at 8 a.m later this morning but yesterday the guy is asking brock should seattle have taken a look at signing cam i think they should have yeah, I, I think we talked about this a month ago or so after Jameis signed and, and we talked about whether or not there's going to be any market for Cam Newton. And I think even we hinted then that New England seemed like, a, you know, just a, a perfect spot to, to, to match those two personalities in Belichick and Newton. I, I think they should have. I don't think there's any way that Cam would have come here. He's looking to resurrect his career. He's looking for an opportunity to start. There is no chance. I mean, you could probably argue of every team in the league, as far as the most secure quarterback, that there is no way there's any competition whatsoever. Uh, You could probably argue that Russell Wilson's at the top of that list. There is no chance to see him playing here, and he needs to play in order to gain his market value back, in order to be the icon and the franchise QB that he believes his skill set is. He needs to go and play, and and good for him and Jameis to get a you know one year deal, an opportunity, and and he'll have every chance there in New England to be their starter. Taking that bet on himself for sure, but Brock also mentioning it's just the ideal location for Cam to get a starting job. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. And you know, and as far as back in the Brinks truck up, nobody did, Danny. I mean, yeah. obviously the market is what the market's willing to pay. And the market was willing to pay both Jameis and Cam just one-year deals for differing reasons. You know, I think for Jameis, it was the inability to protect the football. And for Cam, it's just his body is beat up. And I think there's a lot of fear and reservation. And, and I'm sure that this COVID situation we find ourselves in a little bit like Mr. Clowney, when you're just not able to, to get out and about and work out and travel and, and maybe even have face-to-face with many of these different organizations, that also hurts your value. So... There wasn't anybody offering him big money. And then I think he had to really look in the mirror and say, okay, then what is going to be the best opportunity for me to start to win the job and resurrect my career? 
and that's going to be go play for Bill Belichick in New England, which is going to be one heck of a beautiful marriage. Mina Kimes of ESPN Daily was on Get Up yesterday and also uh, I think around the horn, but talked about why she thinks Cam Newton will excel in New England. I love the fit precisely because New England doesn't require a fit. That's what's so great about this team. Everyone describes them as being rigid, but really their greatest strength is how malleable they are. Bill Belichick, one of the oldest coaches in the NFL, will change his defensive game plan week to week on offense over the years. They've evolved, and I expect them to evolve and tailor this offense to Cam Newton's skill sets. I think we'll see a little bit of what they did with Jacoby Brissett, a little bit what we've seen in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. Quick passing game, misdirection, play action. New England can do all of that with him, and I think they'll be very successful. So that, that begs, I guess we've jumped way ahead of this question, but is there any doubt in your mind that he is their starting quarterback, Mina, immediately? He walks in there, gets the ball, and they are now rebuilding the whole thing around him starting today. Just health. I mean, I, you know, I, like no one else, really knows the extent of his injury, whether he's fully recovered from that foot injury, which really was on display in 2019. But if he is healthy it's a no-brainer. If he is healthy, even though the Patriots do not have excellent skill players, they lack speed at the position, he didn't have excellent skill players in Carolina and still succeeded with them. He's playing behind a better offensive line with a better defense in New England. Coming up on The Blitz, speaking of Cam Newton, also Brady Henderson of ESPN joining John Clayton yesterday to chat about him landing in New England, his possibility of being in Seattle before that, and then the latest on Jadevian Clowney. It's next on The Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Liddy Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, June 30th. Jadevian Clowney was the hottest topic here in Seattle. Well, it seems like months ago now, but wondering if he would re-sign with the Seattle Seahawks. The latest on Clowney as well as Cam Newton from ESPN's Brady Henderson. He joined John Clayton, the professor, yesterday. You talk about the good PR, I guess you want to say, because here was going to be a bad. And I don't know why it was coming out on a Sunday night that the league was going to put out the fact that they're going to uh, you know, take a third round pick away from the Patriots, along with one point one million dollars and all kind of you know discipline and things of that nature, you know, wiping out the TV production crew from doing any taping and anything. Uh, and then, you know, all of a sudden, oh, it, it turns into a positive. What could have been a negative day? Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm sure a deal like that, you know, with Newton, that that's not something that came together right away. I'm sure that that had been in the works for a while, and um, it would not be the first time that you know something you know comes out. Uh, I guess we should say, like you know, in um, in you know rather convenient timing like that, just to kind of uh, take some of the spotlight away from a negative story like that. But um, at any rate, it it makes a lot of sense for them and. Uh, yeah, the timing is, uh, I guess we can say, interesting. Yeah, no doubt. But what I find interesting, it seems like every two or three years now, uh, they've now lost something. They lost a first and a fourth round pick from Spygate, and I think that was on the 216 draft. Then from the 218 draft, they uh, lose a first round pick with the Flategate, and now next year they lose a third round pick. And yet they keep, on, they keep being in the playoffs and going to Super Bowls. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, and yet it hasn't really stopped them now. And, you know, we'll see what they're like. Uh, what life is like post Tom Brady, but um, you know if there is a quarterback to come in and, and keep that ship afloat uh, of all the available guys there, you know it, it's just it, it is striking uh, what you know how good of a position they're in now. And you know let, let's that's not to say that Cam Newton um, has been the same MVP you know in, that he was in 2015. I mean he's he's struggled over the last few years, 
uh, with injuries and otherwise, and that's certainly you would look at that as a reason to why um, one reason to why he was unsigned as long as he is. But you know, this is uh, by reports, you know, not a not a very expensive deal, um, pretty incentive laden deal. I think was was the report I saw, which makes sense. And um, if that's the case, it it seems like it's a lot of upside and not a lot of downside for the Patriots. You know, if, if he regains anything close to that form, uh, he doesn't even have to to play like an MVP, just playing like. You know Cam Newton in, in most of his other seasons. You know before the injuries have started to take a toll. Um, that's a pretty good value when you're talking about a, a deal that is not you know uh, that's mostly incentives. And if he hits those incentives, that means he played he played well. So it, it's a, it seems like a win-win situation yeah. for the Patriots. It was definitely a win-win there. Uh, now uh, Tony Pauline was reporting that uh, he now understands that Jadavian Clowney's two teams at, at the top of his list. And again, if this is true, this is the it shows you how clueless Clowney is. Uh, New Orleans and Dallas. Okay, New Orleans is like forty million dollars over the cap next year, and uh, you know they they haven't signed their draft choices yet, and they uh, you know they don't have a lot of wiggle room from this year's uh, deals, and they have you know Alvin Kamara and Marcus Lattimore all coming up on contracts, and uh, it, it's an absolute mess cap wise for them, and so they can't afford to do it, and Dallas. You know, they I counted up ninety for seven players, ninety six point six million dollars of cap eaten up by seven starters, you know, six uh, six of them on offense. And that doesn't count uh, what would happen if they have to franchise Dak Prescott at thirty seven seven next year or you know get some kind of a deal. It's like those two teams are the last teams that are going to go for Clowney. Yeah, and you know that's what happens when a team is you know paying a, a quarterback on a franchise tag thirty five million dollars, thirty four million and change this year, all counting against the cap. So uh, the Cowboys are not a team that's going to have a ton of of cap flexibility. I mean, I guess that you know these two teams are are both teams that have shown that they're not afraid to do what it takes to manipulate the cap, um, even at the cost of you know pushing dead money onto future years. We saw the Cowboys do that for years. Uh, with Tony Romo, and you know, when he retired, it was this huge albatross on their salary cap because they had accumulated so much dead money. The Saints have kind of done similar things with, you know, structuring contracts with those, you know, voidable years that basically do the same thing, which is to push, um, you know, dead money onto future years, and and you sort of uh, create the cap space now and deal with it later. Uh, but even then, like you said, you know, there's I don't even know if those teams have. Uh, the legal room right now to make that happen. You know, an interesting thing about the Saints is, and I, I was talking with uh, our Saints reporter Mike Triplett about this, is that would really fit their mo of you know offering you know big name players, uh, kind of getting them at discounted rates and offering them a chance to come in and, and compete. You saw it with Adrian Peterson, uh, Des Bryant before he got hurt, uh, Emmanuel Sanders this offseason, Jameis Winston. So. Uh, it would kind of fit that team's mo from that standpoint, but then there is the question of, even if you man, you know maneuver the salary cap, can you make that work financially? That was ESPN's Brady Henderson. You can listen to that full interview with the professor online at seventeadsports.com. Also yesterday, Rand Divish of the Seattle Times joining Bob David Moore to chat about how many players could opt out of the sixty-game season. We saw a couple names be vocal about it yesterday, including Mike Leake, who used to play in Seattle. Ryan Divish joining the guys to give his thoughts. Divish, let's get right to it. We just were talking about Mike Leake, Brian Zimmerman, Joe Ross opting out not to play this season. Do you think other uh, veteran players are going are to follow suit? I think you, you'll see some. Uh, I mean, the incentive, I, I think, for guys that have made their money and especially guys that might be a, will be a free agent going into after the season, 
I don't know that they have the incentive to to play for some of them. You know, they they they'll have they'll find a way to get a job. I think one way or the other, and they probably have the established money. I think with Mike Leak, um, there there's some factors with Mike Leak. Uh, you know, he he did have shingles. He's had some health issues in the past, and then for a lot of people that just don't know, Mike's dad. Um, was building a log cabin for Mike in, in um, Montana. He, that's kind of what he did. He was a home builder. And he fell and, and broke his back and is paralyzed. And so, you know, when you have that kind of traumatic injury, it, it puts him at risk. And I think, you know, Mike yeah. interacts with his father a lot and didn't want to have, you know, run the risk of that as well. So I think there's a lot of factors. And for players that, that do have are kids that maybe are asthmatic or, you know, have health issues. It's something they definitely have to be concerned about. I think if I was a player at this point, given the uncertainty and instability of, of some of these cities and, and even just th- this whole return, I think I would just be better off having the, the family stay home and going to the city where I'm going to play at for the three months and going on my own. Because, you know, as, as well as I do, if it shut down, then you're going to have to go back anyway. So I, I just, I, I can see where players are going to sit out if they have the ability to do so, and I can see where a lot of players are going to not bring their families with, which was the whole thing that they were against when it came to uh, sequestering in Arizona. Ryan, they've got, I think, about 118 pages between two different manuals and, and safety precautions that they're going to take, and it seems like they've got every T crossed and I dotted when they're at the park, but then they leave the park. And I asked Dave this a couple of minutes ago. Yeah, I think the question comes down to is how much do you trust your teammate with your health? I mean, how realistic is it to think that everybody's going to do the right thing or that teams are going to be able to dictate what they do or that veteran players are going to be able to lean on other players enough to make that safe? I I know you asked Jerry about that on our conference call, and you're perfectly right. I mean, you're asking players to exercise of a level of responsibility um, that a lot of them don't. I mean, you know, in terms of, you know, for a lot of these guys, they have money, they have time, and, and they go and do things, you know, and, and going out and going to restaurants, things like that. And it's also not just trusting the players, but it is trusting the players' families. If players bring their families or significant others with them, then you're asking for those, those people to have a level of responsibility as well that, you know, you don't know about either. And I think we've seen that, you know, with some of these LSU football players and some of these college athletes that, you know, they, they, there are large groups of them testing positive because they didn't kind of abide by what the, the university asked them to do to come back and do these workouts. And I think that's going to be a problem. I, I, you know, there is a trust factor. And I don't know uh, how many of those people, you know, you would trust. You know, I, we always kind of joke uh, about the Mariners, like the old days of, the guys going out all the time post game are kind of gone. Most of these guys are still young, and a lot of them are very young. And, and one of the players jokes and all they do is sit in the room and play Xbox at night after games are over. They don't go out to the bars or anything. So maybe that's what they'll do here. But that's that's been an issue, certainly. Ryan Divish, full interview there, available for you, 710sports.com. Just click on that podcast tab. Up next on the Blitz, it's time for the hot list. The NFL Players Association has instructed agents to talk to all of their players about potential risk factors that could make them more susceptible to severe illness as a result of the coronavirus. What are those risk factors and how many people might be deterred from playing because of them? It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines Studio, this is The Blitz.
It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Former Iowa running back Akram Wadley uh, said on Monday that, well, detailed several allegations of mistreatment by current and former Hawkeyes coaches writing that, quote, playing for Iowa football was a living nightmare. He played for Iowa from 2014 to 2017, and in it he mentioned head coach Kirk Ferenc, offensive coordinator Brian Ferenc, and former strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyle in the allegations. They were published on Facebook by a man named Robert Green, who is working with a sports advisory firm and working with several former Iowa players to voice their experiences with the program, talk about them, Iowa, meanwhile, has hired a law firm to conduct an independent review of the program after a large number of former players were vocal about alleged mistreatment earlier this month. On June 14th, Iowa reached a separation agreement with Doyle, who led the football strength and conditioning program throughout Kirk Ferenc's 21-year tenure. Watley alleges that Brian Ferenc, son of Kirk Ferenc and an Iowa assistant since 2012, repeatedly asked him if he planned to rob a liquor store or a gas station whenever he saw Watley wearing a team-issued wool cap. He also alleges that Iowa targeted him and other black players for not gaining enough weight during the season, which led to him having some unhealthy eating habits, binging on shakes before workouts, often becoming sick, and that he ended up seeking out help from a therapist who was then uh, mysteriously unavailable to him. He also writes that he turned to alcohol to cope with his experience because of everything going on at Iowa and still uh, led the Hawkeyes in rushing in each of his final two seasons there. Iowa, meanwhile, released a statement in response to Wadley's allegations that read, quote, as previously stated, Coach Kirk Ferenc will not be commenting on individual unverified accusations posted on social media out of respect for the independent review process. The NBA and National Basketball Players Association announced they're planning to paint Black Lives Matter on the court inside both sidelines in all three arenas the league will use at the Walt Disney Resort when they start later this, or sorry, next month, but now one month away, July 30th. The WNBA also reportedly discussing doing the same thing, painting Black Lives Matter on the court when it begins their abbreviated season at the IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, players have insisted that the fight for racial equality be a central part of the return to play uh, and the part of their new season. J.J. Redick was on the Scott Van Pelt yesterday and his thoughts on finishing up the season. I'm going to take away from this social justice movement that's happening right now by playing is us playing a distraction. I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer to that question. I completely understand the guys that don't want to play, whether it's for family, whether it's for health, or whether it's for the social justice movement. I know we've seen a lot of WNBA players who have decided to sit out the season because they want to continue the cause. I literally applaud them. Seriously, the, the amount of courage it takes to do that is commendable. And I get everybody's thing. And I think everybody kind of has to make a decision for themselves. I believe for the betterment of our league, we need to play. And we also have an opportunity with the platform that we will have in Orlando to hopefully enact some real policy change. 
Yeah, J.J. Reddick speaking specifically about that real change and what they can do to be part of it. We're trying to figure out with the Players Association and with the NBA about putting forth real action. Obviously, it's been reported we're going to put Black Lives Matter on the court. There might be an option where we can wear messages on the back of our jersey other than our last name. But we all realize there's more to it than just kneeling at the anthem or uh, putting up the Black Power sign. Like, we need real change in this country. We need actionable change. And we're working with the league and the Players Association right now in figuring out what that looks like and how we can invest uh, in Black communities. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reporting yesterday at Brooklyn Nets center. DeAndre Jordan tested positive for the coronavirus and opted out of uh, next month's Orlando, Florida restart with his team. He announced that Monday as well. Jordan and guard Spencer Dinwiddie uh, tested positive for COVID-19, though Dinwiddie has yet to officially rule himself out. He told The Athletic on Monday. Forward Wilson Chandler told ESPN on Sunday that he opted out of the season's restart, citing family concerns. They have also got several players that are injured as of now, including uh, Kyrie Irving as well as Kevin Durant. So their roster dwindling and uh, their potential for uh, for wanting to be part of that. Other players, too, now seeing that their ranks have become so depleted, that will be an interesting concern. Teams have to submit rosters of eligible players to the NBA on Wednesday. And uh, NBA uh, won't start formal training camps until they arrive in Orlando in mid-July. Have to go through a lot of those health and safety concerns and hoops, including uh, getting to Orlando like pre-testing before they go to Orlando, testing when they get to Orlando, having to be isolated in their hotel rooms for several hours until they uh, get negative tests. Adrian Wojnarowski, though, on the fear of outbreaks within the bubble. It's the one question the NBA has not answered that they haven't, it seems, wanted to box themselves in, is how many players on one team would it take for them to either end a series, to say to a team is essentially done. There are mechanisms for them to continue to bring in substitution players, but those players coming in would have to quarantine. But that's the fear. That's the ultimate fear in this great experiment, that if there was an outbreak on a team in the middle of the playoffs, how would you be able to continue? Also saying that the bubble will be somewhat of a psychological test on teams. As much as the idea of a bubble and the physical aspects, uh, that might be translated from Fort Myers to Orlando. I think ultimately it is a psychological test that starts with the Raptors. Organizations, front offices, and and head coaches, and, and leaders on players will tell you that they think ultimately that this is going to be a test of mental toughness, of leadership within teams, what coaches can sell to their group, you know, the, the, the togetherness that it's going to take to get through you know, this summer in an environment unlike any teams have ever tried to win a championship in. And the Raptors, they're starting on that course before anybody else in the league. Speaking of that, yes, Toronto Raptors guard Fred Van Vliet he was vocal yesterday and saying it was really difficult to decide whether to take part in the restart amid the coronavirus pandemic, amid all of the protests for social justice. Ultimately, he decided to play, but still uh, voicing his concerns. Obviously, we all know the right thing to do is to not play, to take a stand, to, you know, morally. Yes, that makes sense. But life goes on. We're all young black guys and. Uh, none of us want to give any money back, and I don't think that we should. And I think that that money can be used in many different ways. And this is not this is not going to end this summer, regardless, or in these next couple of months. This issue 
uh, racial injustice, social injustice, police brutality, all these things are not ending anytime soon. Um, and so our fight is long term. And so that was that was part of my decision. But if if the league uh, or more of my guys would have came together and said we didn't want to play, I would have sat out as well. I wouldn't have fought it. Um, but I think most of us decide to play and, and it's something that we'll have to live with. But I trust that my heart's in the right place and, and I'm doing enough um, to really make change. Carbon Hill Mayor Mark Chambers has resigned after posting disparaging comments about the University of Alabama football team and their choice to voice their support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Carbon Hill is located outside Birmingham, Alabama, and Chambers submitted his resignation letter uh, to the city clerk over the weekend. The town council hasn't approved it yet, but they are expected to this week with an emergency meeting being held tomorrow. It was a Facebook post uh, from Chambers on Saturday, and he said he was selling his photos of the Alabama football team and head coach Nick Saban because of their sorry political views. He said, the tide is done, in my opinion. And it was in response to a video shared by Alabama football, uh, Saban, and players, in which they read an essay by Crimson Tide offensive lineman Alex Leatherwood, who wrote, all lives can't matter until black lives matter. So a pretty uh, powerful video. And Chambers also had previously faced scrutiny for comments he's made on social media last year. And reportedly two town council members even resigned after some of those comments because they didn't want to be associated with them. The NFL Players Association has instructed player agents to talk to all of their clients about potential risk factors that could make them more susceptible to severe illness as a result of COVID-19. It was a letter sent to agents on Monday, and the NFLPA wrote, quote, We are directing you to provide each of your clients with important risk factor information provided by the Centers for Disease Control that appears below. And by mid-July, you must engage each of your clients in a conversation about the vital importance of carefully reviewing this information with their personal physician. Uh, The risk factors that were highlighted in this uh, provided also a link to the CDC page that discusses people of any age with underlying medical conditions. But uh, there were seven of them that were really highlighted, including uh, COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, anyone who might be immunocompromised from an organ transplant, anyone who might have a BMI of 30 or higher, have serious heart conditions, sickle cell disease, type 2 diabetes, or a chronic kidney disease. Also included in this was a second list of conditions the CDC has determined still might put someone at an increased risk of uh, any type of illness, contracting illness from COVID-19. Those include asthma, hypertension, or high blood pressure, other immune deficiencies, liver disease, uh, and type 1 diabetes, among others. We heard from Vaughn Miller, who was one of the players that came out and uh told uh, the world that he had tested positive and he experienced a shortness of breath in his sleep, but he also has dealt with asthma in the past was one of the things I learned from those conversations. So there are players out there with these conditions and could that deter some of them from wanting to return? Per the new CBA, uh, just agreed upon by the players recently, training camps start no later may start no later than 47 days before a team's first regular season game. So that means July 28th is the reporting date for most teams, and that is still coming up uh, rather quickly, right around the corner. The NFL and NFLPA have been in regular discussions about what the health and safety protocols will look like, as well as other matters, and how players could opt out of the season if they need to. DeMarie Smith, the uh, head of the NFLPA, talking about complications of COVID right now. Here's where we are right now. We, we haven't agreed on what happens. 
how do you um, engage in in a process that involves you know literally thousands of people over 20 some odd weeks um, where you know that the business the business of football is you know when you're talking about offensive linemen defensive linemen two groups of people who are inches apart breathing on each other well you know trying to figure out a way to mitigate transmission and trying to figure out what happens when someone tests positive yeah, it's a little more, slightly more complicated. Arizona Positives plan to bring athletes back to campus this week, citing a surge in COVID-19 cases in Pima County and the coronavirus pandemic's impact on the local health care system. On June 15th, the school started to bring back some athletes for voluntary workouts in small groups. Well, groups of approximately 20 said they had received one positive test. Arizona did. Uh, COVID-19 result after testing 83 athletes the past few weeks. But Arizona is waiting clarification on whether they continue workouts because Monday, Governor Doug Ducey ordered all gyms in the state to close for 30 days as a result of the COVID-19 spike. The Pac-12 has wanted to approach this in a unified uh, way and unified front. So this could have implications across the Pac-12. We will keep you updated. Colorado Rockies outfielder Ian Desmond, one of Several players who decided to opt out of this season, he wrote on social media that it was not only concerns with the COVID-19 pandemic, but uh, wanting to be around as a husband and as a father to answer questions about social injustice right now, about civil rights, about life, and also cited that um, he wanted to create more opportunities uh, and help with people who might not have access to baseball because of their economic uh, socioeconomic status. So uh, he was not the only player we heard from Arizona Diamondbacks pitcher, former Mariner Mike Leake also saying that he was going to opt out Washington Nationals first baseman, Ryan Zimmerman and pitcher Joe Ross announced they're opting out of 2020 amid the coronavirus pandemic. And will there be some peer pressure amongst players? Buster only with thoughts. What I've heard from players is, is that players, um, are concerned. Uh, they respect uh, the decisions of their peers, guys like Ryan Zimmerman. We heard Ian Desmond. You know, I, I do think people in the sport are wondering about Mike Trout. You know, he was uh, you know out front at the outset of this when he talked about how uh, his wife is pregnant and and uh, if it were something to be take away, take him away from from her, it wasn't something that he was going to be comfortable with. Um, and I do think that the you know the peer pressure will manifest itself more when the teams get together. That's a wrap for the Hot List and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.